Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go. It's week two of our sermon series called The Simple Gospel, where we're taking the better part of two years. We're walking verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter through the gospel of Mark. And some of your heads just exploded. You're like two years through one book of the Bible. Don't worry. We broke it up into a 10-week series. And so this is our way to be able to introduce you to how we love to teach the Bible by going straight through books of the Bible. I love the gospel of Mark because Mark is really all about Jesus. The gospel of Mark tells us who Jesus is, what Jesus does, what Jesus says, how Jesus loves, how Jesus lives, and how we are to live our lives for Jesus. And the big idea today is that a life lived for Jesus is a life lived on mission. That Jesus comes on a mission. Jesus leaves heaven He enters into this world to seek and to save the lost, to forgive sins, to die on a cross, to resurrect and to reconcile us into a loving relationship with the Father. That is Jesus' mission. That is Jesus' focus, Jesus' purpose, Jesus' reason. That's Jesus' goal. And the same way that was the goal for Jesus, the mission for Jesus, as Christians, that's also our mission. Because a life lived for Jesus is a life lived on mission. And so the sermon title for us today is this, Jesus on Mission. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 7. We're going to read it all, and then we're going to unpack it on the back end. Today, we're going to see this. We're going to see 11 lessons for you to live your life on mission from the gospel of Mark as Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. Here's what Mark tells us. And he, that's Jesus, called the 12, those are the disciples, and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter in a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And then he cast out many demons and he anointed them with oil, many who were sick, and he healed them. Up until this point, we're following Jesus for two years. We're two years into the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has come on the scene. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's praying. He's helping. He's healing. He's performing miracles. He's raising the dead. He's, he's casting out demons, getting in fights with the Pharisees. Up until this point, Jesus, he's been on his mission now for two years. And as we're looking at this, what I notice is this, that the disciples, they come and they follow him. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus, he goes and he calls four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And he looks at them and he says, you guys come and follow me. They drop their nets, they go and they follow Jesus. 
And then in Mark chapter 3, he formalizes it. He makes it Facebook official, and he says, here's the 12 disciples. And then he lists them by name, and then he calls them into mission with him. And so the disciples, they've been walking with Jesus now for two years. They've been spending time with him, listening to him. They've been learning from him. They've been hanging around a campfire, you know, telling stories, making s'mores, spending time with Jesus. But what's interesting is that in six chapters, the disciples, they still haven't really done anything. Go back and you look at it. I mean, it's all the time. Jesus preaching, the disciples are like, wow, that's crazy. Right? Jesus teaching, they're like, hmm, where did he get that from? Jesus heals somebody, they're like, wow, this is incredible. But up until this point, the disciples haven't actually done anything. Their contribution to the mission of Jesus so far, zero. They haven't really done anything. And as I was praying and preparing, getting ready for this week, I just began to think, God, how is that possible? How could someone walk with Jesus for two years and not do anything? Is it because they were lazy? Is it because they made excuses? Is it because they were rebellious, hard-headed, stubborn? Is it because they were prideful and self-absorbed and only thought about themselves? Jesus, how could you let the disciples walk with you for two years and do absolutely nothing? I thought this was insane. And then the Lord reminded me, Byron, before you get so hard on the disciples, that was your story too. That I... For the first two years of following Jesus, did absolutely nothing. See, God saved me at the age of 20. Now, I was raised in the church, yes, but as a teenager, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to reject Jesus, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do my own thing, live my own way, nobody can tell me what to do, I don't really believe in God, then I just make my own course and direction for my own destiny. And then at the age of 20, miraculously, God saved me. He got a hold of my heart. I became a Christian. And then I got involved in a good, decent church. And in that church, I I would go to church on Sunday, just like you guys are, and I would show up, and I would walk in, and somebody would open the door for me, and there was coffee there. Somebody got up, and they prepared the coffee, and I'd get me a cup of coffee, and I would go into the sanctuary, shake a couple hands. The band would play, and I would listen, and I would worship, and I'd raise my hands, and then the pastor would come out, and he would preach, and I would sit down and take out my notes, and I would listen to the sermons, and I was beginning to experience, and I I was growing, and I was excited. But you know what? I didn't actually do anything. For two years, I just sat in a chair, and I didn't actually contribute anything into my local church. I just sat there, consumed, listened to the sermons, and then I got up, and then I went on, and I continued to live my own life. No thought, no care, no concern for the mission that Jesus had given that church. For two years, this was my life. And then I remember one Sunday, I was sitting in church, and and all of a sudden, it just dawned on me. Right, that I'm sitting in a chair that somebody else gave for. And then, it, and then it hit me that when I walked in the doors, there was a volunteer team that woke up at 8 o'clock in the morning to come and serve so that I could have a place to worship the Lord. And then as I'm, as I'm listening and raising my hands and I'm worshiping, I'm like, Jesus, this is amazing. And then it hit me that there was a worship band that practiced six hours that week so that way I could be able to experience the presence of God. And I'm sitting there listening to a sermon from a wise, godly, older man who's just pouring out his heart a lifetime of love and a lifetime of wisdom and learning and I'm listening to these amazing things that he's saying and then it hit me I don't do anything here that I was just like the disciples I've been walking with Jesus for two years and up until this point my contribution to the kingdom of God thus far was zero 
And I begin to wonder, if I left this church, would it be better? If I left this church, would anybody actually miss me because I hadn't actually done anything? That's exactly where the disciples are at. And so that's the day for me that everything began to change. That I thought, you know what? I, I want to do something around here. I want to leave my mark. I want to make a difference. I want to leave a legacy. I want to live a life that matters. And so I need to get on mission. That was the day that I decided, you know what? I'm going to start giving. And then the first time the plate came by, for years, I was like, uh-uh, I'll take money out. But I'm definitely not putting money in. <laughs> And so I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to give. And I, I gave. I worked whatever I made that night, waiting tables, and I put it in the offering, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to have an anxiety attack, and then I let it go. And guess what? I didn't die. <laughs> and I started giving, and then I got up, and I went to the lobby, and I signed up to join a volunteer team, and they, they put me in the youth group. I was 22 years old, covered in tattoos, dumb punk kid, and so they were like, we'll put him in the youth group. Just so you know, bad idea. I don't like youth. I don't get along with you. Some of you, that's your calling. Praise the Lord for you, but that's just not me. But here's what I did. I served. I got connected and I became committed into serving. And as I began to serve, I realized that I'm actually making a difference. I joined a small group. We called them community groups. And I got together with people and I started reading my Bible and I started praying and I started reading books. And then I joined the membership class and I went through membership. And then, and then all of a sudden, what I realized is this, that within two months of living on mission, I grew more than two years of attending church on Sunday. In two months, getting on mission, I grew in my faith far more than two years than just sitting in church on Sunday. Here's what the Lord did in my life. As I began to give, my heart, it continued to grow. As I began to serve, I started to develop and discover what my spiritual gifts are. As I surrounded myself in Christian community, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I have people who are praying for me. People are holding me accountable. People are pointing me towards following Jesus. And here's what God did for me in that first year. In that first year of living on mission, my life totally changed. Me and Ashley, we ended up getting married, that I received a call into full-time ministry to go and plant churches. We opened up a first department, and by the end of that first year, 20 of my closest friends all had given their life to Jesus. 20 friends became Christians. Why? Because I stopped being a consumer. I started being a contributor. I stopped taking. I started giving. I stopped thinking about myself, and I started thinking about mission. And as I looked up at the end of the year, everything in my life changed. 20 people loving Jesus, a community group in our house that's growing. I'm serving. I'm giving. And my life began to make a difference. That's the same thing that happened for the disciples. That's the same thing that happened to me. And my hope, my prayer, my goal is that by the end of the day, this is the same thing that's going to happen to you. That by the end of this year, your life will be totally different because you are living on mission. Last week, we had our grand opening, and it was amazing, but the grand opening was not the end. It was just the beginning. Now is the time of a transition. Now is the time of a shift. We're entering into a new season, and for us to make the most out of the opportunity that God has for us in this new season, we need you to get up and get on mission. Jesus has something for you to do. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to break down Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13, and we're going to learn 11 lessons to live a life on mission. Here's the first thing that Jesus tells us, that all 
are called. All are called. And he called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. The first thing we see is that all are called. How many disciples does Jesus call? 12. How many disciples are there? 12. Right, every single disciple was called to be on mission with him. All are called. He doesn't say this. Peter, James, and John, you're in. Thaddeus, you can sit this one out. We don't really need you. That's not what Jesus said. Every single disciple had an important role and part to play in the mission of God. Why? Because all are called. He calls every single one of us. And so that means that if you are a Christian, you need to understand this. If you've given your heart, if you placed your hope and trust and faith in Jesus, if he's died for your sins, resurrected, giving you a new life, then guess what? All are called. If you are a Christian, that means you have a calling. There is no such thing as a Christian that does not have a calling because all are called. And some of you are wondering right now, what is my calling? What does God want me to do? What does God have next for me? Where does God want me to go? What does God want me to accomplish? What has God called me to do? And the answer is just to follow him. See, in this text, Jesus says you're called, but I'm not going to tell you the full future of your calling. He just calls them in the moment and says, if you follow me, we'll figure it out along the way. So many people are waiting for some magical definitive moment for their calling, and they're missing the opportunity that is right in front of them. Jesus says, follow me, I'm calling you, we'll figure it out along the way. But your calling, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go into full-time vocational pastoral ministry. We, 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 we think that, oh, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a missionary. I'm called to do these things. And we think, oh, look at all those people. Those must be the ones who have the calling. Well, what about me? Remember, there is no such thing as a Christian without a calling. Some of you young men, you will be called to be pastors. But not all of you are going to be pastors. Some of you ladies, you're going to be called to become a deacon. But not everyone is called to be a deacon. Some of you are going to be called to go overseas but not everyone is called to go overseas. Some of you are going to be leaders. Some of you are going to be teachers. Some of you are going to be influencers, but not everyone is called to do the exact same thing. Our calling is different, but the mission is the same. Just follow Jesus, and we'll figure it out along the way. And some of you are thinking, oh, well, what is it, my calling? What is it that I'm supposed to do? Here's what it is. Wherever you're at, whatever season you're in, be faithful in that moment, and that is your calling. So if you're a mom, that's your calling. Be a mom for the glory of God and for the good of those kids. If you're a husband, that's your calling then you need to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. If you're in college, that is your calling. Then you need, to, you need to learn and grow, and you need to not focus so much on getting a diploma and worry more about making disciples. Okay, that is your calling. So wherever you're at, that's where you need to be. And if all you are is a hammer-swinging, you know, Coors Light drinking, no mechs wearing, salt-of-the-earth, blue-collar type of guy, then guess what? That is your calling then you are called because there is no Christian that does not have a calling. Wherever you're at, that's where God has you. Be faithful in the moment, faithful in the season because you have been called. All are called. The second thing we see is this, that every believer is a missionary. So what he does is he calls them and then what's the next thing that he does? He sends them. 
He sends them out to be his missionaries. The word missionary, it means the sent ones, that you have been called and you have also been sent. Now, in our day, we typically think of a missionary as a person who goes overseas, a person who you know, says goodbye to their mom and dad, sells all of their possessions and all of their belongings, learns a foreign language, and then goes overseas to places like Africa or Iraq or Afghanistan or Haiti or Honduras. And we think, oh, that's what it means for us to be missionaries. And while that is absolutely true, that we do need to go overseas and that that is critical to the heart of God, that the nations would rejoice and that they would be glad, but what we notice also is that mission is not only across the sea, but mission is also across the street. That some are called to go overseas, and some are called just to go across the street. Where does Jesus send the disciples? He just sends them out. Okay, the disciples, they go across the street. Some go overseas, some go across the street, but nevertheless, every single believer is a missionary. If you have been saved, then you are also being sent. This is theologically what is known as the Missio Dei. It's the mission of God, that our God is a missionary God. This is one of the things that differentiates Christianity from every other false religion, that our God is a missionary God. See, other religions would say, you work your way to God. Christianity says, God has made his way to us. Because our God is a missionary God. Our God creates. Our God pursues relationship with us. Then God the Father sends God the Son. And Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life in our place. He dies the painful death in our place. And on the cross, he's the substitute for our sins, resurrecting, giving us new life in him, reconciled relationship back with the Father. Jesus comes as a missionary. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sends the promise of the Holy Spirit to indwell all new believers, to empower us, to equip us, to give us spiritual gifts to enable us so that way we can go out and we can continue the mission that God has given us. God the Father sends the Son. God the Son sends the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is now sending you. That every believer is a missionary and we need to get this. We need to begin to see ourselves just like this. That every believer is a missionary. You have been saved and you're also being sent. And so you wonder, okay, well why would Jesus send the twelve? I mean, it seems like Jesus was doing a pretty good job for himself. Up until this point, there were sometimes crowds of 5,000 people following him. That Jesus, he's a great teacher. Jesus, he's a phenomenal leader. Jesus can heal. Jesus can Jesus cast out demons. He could perform miracles. Crowds are flocking to him from miles and miles away. Why would Jesus send out the 12 disciples? Why didn't he just do it all by himself? Well, the reason is, is because one, he wants to give you the opportunity to experience the same things that he does. That he's inviting you into the mission that he has for you. So he's giving them the opportunity to be able to do the same things that he has done. The second thing is this, that Jesus, he's limited. He's fully God, yes, but he's also fully man. Now Jesus, he can only be in one place at one time, 
He can only reach so many people at any given moment. He's limited by time and space and location. Jesus, he's got to eat food. He's got to go to the restroom. He's got to get some sleep. He can't do everything. And so what he does is he says, now I have 12 disciples. I can send them out, and they can go continue and carry on the mission that I have. And then Jesus sends out the 12 to continue the mission. I need you to start seeing yourself as a missionary, that Jesus is beginning to send you and he wants to give you the same opportunity, the same privilege that he had with his first 12. This is so incredibly important for us to understand right? because we live in a day and age to where, to where people think, oh, it's the church's job or it's the organization's job or it's the pastor's job to do all of the ministry and all of the work. And so what I do is I come to church and I listen to a sermon. I come to church I drop my kids off. I come to church and I listen to a song. I come to church and then they do all of the work for me, and then I get up, and then I go home. That's not the way that Jesus envisioned his church, that we would all begin to see ourselves as a missionary, and I want you to understand, there's so many new people in, I've said this before, but it's very important for me to be able to explain this, okay, that I do not have the most important job in this church. I don't. I don't have the most important job in this church. Yes, I'm going to preach, and I'm going to preach the gospel every single week. Yes, you're going to show up, and we're going to worship on Sundays, and we're going to sing, and we're going to celebrate. We might get a little pinnacle where your children raise our hands a little bit. It's going to be amazing, and we're going to have a safe and fun kids ministry for your kids, but I need you to understand this, that I do not have the most important job in this church. You know who does? You do. Because you have the potential to reach far more people with your life than I ever could. See, our building, it only seats about 200 people. We have two services. We could reach maybe 400 people max. But if every single one of us takes this to heart, we live on mission, and if you could just reach three people, then we could, we could reach 12,000 people in one single week. You have the potential to reach more people than I ever could. Because get this, right? They won't let me teach at elementary schools. Okay, I yell too much. I'd make the kids cry. It's not a good idea. But you know what? If you are a teacher, guess what you can do? You can make an impact on those kiddos' lives forever. Right? I can't go hang out with your weird friends at Luke's. Right? I don't want to. But guess what? You're weird. You can reach them. I've never played Settlers of Catan. I don't know. But you know what? You can go and you can do that. Right now, there's about 20,000 people who work at the plants. Right? I can't go and preach at the plants. Why? Because I don't have a Twit card. Okay. Oh, you have a Twit card? Great. You go reach them. You have the potential to reach far more people in your life than I ever could. I'm going to preach. We're going to gather on Sundays. But what I need you to understand, if we're going to make a difference in this city, Every single one of you needs to begin to see yourself as a missionary. You have been saved, and now you are being sent. The third thing we see is this. Don't go alone. So how does Jesus send them? He says, all right, I'm calling you together, and then I'm going to send you out. And how does he do it? He says he does it two by two, because Jesus doesn't want you to go alone. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. That we need to begin to see ourselves functioning in an operation that is actually a team. That Jesus doesn't want you to go it alone. Just last week, I read a research from Barna that says it was tragic. It said that, that almost 80% of millennial evangelicals say that their preferred method of discipleship is by themselves. 
Can I tell you that that's unbiblical Christianity? That they say, oh, no, I don't need the church. I don't need other people. I don't need Christian community. I don't need to serve. I don't need to give. I don't need other people. I don't need to join a team. I don't really need to do anything because for me, it's just me and Jesus, and we love just to spend time listening to Bethel in the car, and I'll listen to some Stephen Furtick podcasts on my commute, and when I'm on the treadmill, and all of a sudden, I'll, oh, I get the Holy Ghost goosebumps while I'm doing my own business and living my own life, and I don't need anybody else. Friends, that is unbiblical Christianity. Jesus, he sends them out two by two. The first thing Jesus does as he enters in is he gets into a community group. He calls the disciples to himself. If Jesus needed a community group, how much more do you need to be in a community group? He's God. What's your excuse? If Jesus is on a team and he sends his disciples out two by two because he doesn't want you to go through life alone, he sends them out two by two. Listen, you're not as amazing as you think you are. You think, oh, I'm going to go and do it all by myself. No, you're not. You're not. You're not amazing. You're not as convincing. You're not as exciting as you think you are. You're going to need other people because there are weaknesses in your life. There are things that you don't know. There are people you don't know. Some of you, you're introverted. You're like, I don't even want to talk to people. I'm just going to go hide over here. Others of you, you're extroverted and you're annoying. But if we put you together, (laughs) then maybe you can be an effective team. (laughs) That's why he says, don't go it alone. Now, this is the way we do ministry here at Redemption. Everything we do here at Redemption is based in community and teamwork. That we get together in community groups. All across Southeast Texas, every single week, people are reading their Bible, praying together, laughing together, sharing a meal, and they're growing in their faith. Everything we do happens in the context of community, and we also do it two by two. So when you walked into the parking lot today, how many people were out there? Two. When you came to the front doors, how many people were greeting you? Two. When you went to the Connect Desk, how many people were working in that Connect Desk? Two. When you look in the sound booth, how many people in the sound booth? Two. When you go to the kids, how many people are serving in kids in each department? Two. When you come forward for prayer at the end of the gathering, guess how many people are going to pray for you? Two. Everything we do as a church is two by two. Why? Because that's the method Jesus gave us, and Jesus wants you to know. Don't go through life alone. The fourth thing we see is this, is that you have an enemy. Here's what it says. Some of you are jacked. You're excited. You're like, I'm pumped. I'm ready. I'm going to go reach the world for Jesus. Woohoo! Jesus says, hold on. Before you go, I want you to know this, that you have an enemy. And he called the 12, and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Okay, that's Mark's word for demon. Some of you are like, oh, this is, this is going to be great. This is going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Before you go, I want you to know this. Okay, there's going to be demons that you're going to encounter spiritual warfare. You're jacked. You're excited. But wait, before you go, I want you to know this, that you have an enemy, that it's not just you and God. There is a third variable at play. And some of you, you gave your life to Jesus. You're excited. You're fired up. You're following him for a little while. And then all of a sudden, bam, all of a sudden you start wondering, why is this happening? Why is this not working? I'm praying. Why aren't my friends getting saved? I'm praying. Why aren't my family members coming to know Jesus? I'm praying. And why isn't my church 
church growing? How come life got so hard? How come things are so difficult? God must not love me. No, the answer is because you have an enemy. And Jesus says, Satan is the ruler of this world, and he's sending you out into the world. Guess who you're going to run into? That's right, Satan. Jesus loves you, Satan hates you, and he's going to do everything in his power to prevent you. He's going to wear you out. He's going he's to burn you out. You're going to get hit. You're going to get attacked. You're going to get beat up. You're going to feel as if life is hard. The answer is because you have an enemy. He's real. But you don't have to be afraid because you also have authority. That's what Jesus says. He says, you have authority. You don't have to fear the enemy because you have authority. The delegated responsibility that has been given to Jesus has now been given to you. The same power that was given to Jesus has now also been given to you. The same promise that was given through Jesus has now also been given to you. That you don't have to fear the enemy because you have authority. When you're getting hit, you can fight back. When you're taking shots, you can shoot back. You don't have to sit there like a victim and keep getting punched in the face over and over and over again. You can get up and you can do something about it. You don't have to say, oh, no, life is hard. No, you can stand up. You can stand your ground. You can put your boots on and you can fight back. Why? Because you have authority. It's been delegated to you from Jesus all along. And what you need to understand is this. That the disciples, they were actually given authority in chapter 3. They've had authority now for three chapters. They've just never used it. Some of you have had authority for three years and you've never used it. The authority has already been given to you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to shrink back. You can keep moving forward. You can keep marching forward. You can experience everything that God has for you. Yes, you have an enemy, but Jesus says, I have given you authority over these unclean spirits. The next thing we see is this, that we should trust that God will provide. Here's what he says. This one's interesting. Let me read it. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except for a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on tunics. And he said, whenever you enter in a house, stay there until you depart from there. So you are called and you are sent. And Jesus says, you're my missionaries. I got a very important job to do. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be amazing. You're going to change the world. This is so incredible. The disciples are like, that's right. Let's go, Jesus. I got this. Let's, let's do this. Okay, I'm going to need some money. Jesus says, I'm sorry, no money. You're like, well, Jesus, am I going to get something to eat? No, no, there's nothing to eat either. All right, well, Jesus, I'm at least going to need um, an extra coat. Jesus says, no, there's no extra coat. Well, can I get a bag to put my stuff in? Jesus says, no. There's not even a bag for you to put your stuff. Well, Jesus, what do I get? Jesus says, do you got shoes? Okay, then you could bring your shoes. But other than that, a staff and a shoe, that's it. And you think, this is really interesting. Jesus gives them this big mission. Don't you think that he would, he would send them out? with? No. Here's what Jesus is saying. Some people will take this text and they'll say, well, does that mean that Jesus wants me to be poor? And other people will say, oh, no, no, no. This is a text that says, well, if you want to be like Jesus, then you got to be rich. See, listen, Jesus isn't concerned about rich or poor. He's concerned whether you trust that he can provide. 
That's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I'm sending you out and I'm believing and I'm equipping and I'm inspiring you that you can trust that I am going to provide for you. What this actually is a prophetic reminder from the book of Exodus. And Jesus, he's serving as a prophet like Moses. And just the same way that God sent Moses through the wilderness with 12 tribes, Jesus is sending his disciples out by 12. 12 disciples, 12 tribes. And if you remember back to the book of Exodus, as God sends them into the wilderness, he, they take nothing with them. No, no money, no bags, nothing except for their shoes. And for 40 years, they're walking, wandering through the wilderness, and their shoes never wear out. And God does a amazing things for them. As God sends them out, he provides for them. Manna from heaven, they drink water from a rock. There's a cloud by day, there's a fire by night, and God always provides for his people when he sends them out on a mission. And that's exactly what Jesus is reminding them. Jesus says, it's not about whether or not you're poor, it's about whether or not you trust that God will provide. And this, this is the mission strategy that Jesus has, and this is our mission strategy here as a church. Here's Jesus' mission strategy. Here's what he says. He says, go preach the gospel, go pray for the lost, and trust that God will provide. And that's the same thing we do here as a church. We preach the gospel, we pray for the lost, and we trust that God will provide. This is redemption story. Three years ago, we started this church. We didn't have anything. It was just me and my wife living in an old town apartment. No money, no bag, no food, nothing. And we just had a dream in our heart. And we said, God, I want to reach people who are far from you. I want to see this gospel-centered movement. We started meeting new people, inviting them in. We're having parties, and we're interest gatherings, and we're telling people our vision, and people start showing up, and people start getting in. And then Bo, who's the worship leader now, he opened up his apartment. We had our first community group in Bo's apartment three years ago. There was 12 of us, and we got together, we preached, we prayed, and we trusted that God would provide. We didn't have a building. We didn't have a bank account. We didn't have any members. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. We just preached, prayed, and trusted that God would provide. And then we moved into... The gig, and as our church is meeting in this dirty bar, people start showing up, and it's about two weeks before our grand opening, before our, our public launch, and I have a friend of mine who's a pastor in Houston. He called me on the phone, and he said, Byron, I am so inspired by what Jesus is doing in your church. Here's a check for $30,000. I seriously believe that without that man's obedience to generosity, Redemption Church would not be here today. We preach, we pray, we trust that God will provide. And then for two years, we just keep meeting in this dirty old bar. The first year, our total income as a church was under $80,000. Okay, just so you know, that's not a lot. And our, we, we just kept moving forward. We just kept the mission alive. And the church continued to grow. And we continued to see people get saved. And we continued to see people get baptized. And more and more people kept coming. And then it came time for us to make the move from a dirty bar and to an old warehouse, and in a period of six months, hanging sheetrock, installing ceilings, and, and buying all new music equipment. See, you understand, we didn't have any of this. Everything we had was borrowed. And then in the six months, our church gave $60,000 to build out this building. But it cost us about $140,000 to do it. 
You think how that is, the math doesn't even add up. God's not an IRS agent, okay? So he's not gonna, he, he, he doesn't do math the way that we do. Here's the way that God has provided. That as we're continuing working, we're like, I don't know how we're gonna do it. I don't have any money. We're just gonna keep moving. We got a word from the Lord. We're just gonna keep moving forward with the mission. And as we were kept just building and building and building, people just kept giving. One person sold their car, gave the money to the church. Another person, they, they wrote a check for $15,000. They say, I'm going to match whatever your church can raise in two weeks. We gave fifteen. They matched it with another 15000 Okay, A church closed here in Beaumont, Steak and Shake Bottom, and then they gave us the 30000 from that. That's what all of this comes from. And then another building in downtown, a property sold, gave us another $50,000. This doesn't make sense. The numbers don't add up, but here's what we do. We preach, we pray, and God provides. And here's the exciting thing. Here's the amazing thing. The same way that their shoes never wore out, we have just as much money in the bank account today as we did the day we started. And we're just getting ready to do it all over again. So here's what we do as a church. We preach, we pray, and we believe that God provides. Number seven is this, to grow where you're planted. Jesus tells them this. He says, okay, you're going to go out. I'm going to provide for you. And here's what you need to do. When you enter into a house, stay there until you depart from there. What Jesus is saying is that you need to grow where you're planted. If someone lets you in, that's where you stay. And this is important. We don't really understand this because in that day, hospitality was a very big deal. So people would go into a city, they would meet someone standing by the gates, and they would invite them back into their house. Because it was an honor, it was a privilege to be able to have someone come and stay with them. And now, most of the time, the first person that you meet probably wasn't a person of affluence. They typically weren't very wealthy, but they still wanted the honor, so they'd invite you back to the house and they'd say, okay, okay, you come with me, you come with me, you come stay with me. And then all they would have is maybe a cot on the bed, a blanket made out of a potato sack, you'd share a room with the goat, and they'd give you a bowl of cereal. And they're like, here you go, welcome to my humble abode. And the disciples, Jesus says, you need to stay there. This is your mission outpost. They've opened your home, and then that's where you need to be at. Because here's the temptation. Let's say the disciples were a little successful. Let's say they build a good crowd. Let's say as they go out, a business leader gets saved. Let's say a wealthy person gets healed. Let's say a politician gets a demon cast out of them. Hey, it could happen. (laughs) Well, the next thing is this. They would say, no, you come stay with me. Oh, you're over there? No, no, you come stay with me because we got this big spread just for you. We got a a master suite. We got a king-size bed with monogram towels. We have a maid who's going to serve you. We could serve you Chick-fil-A three times a day. It's my pleasure. You come, you come, stay with us. The temptation for the disciples is upgrade. (laughs) And then they would leave where they got started at for something that was more comfortable and more convenient for them. So here's here's the application for us today. Like, how does that work? Church hoppers. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to grow where you're planted. If God has you in a moment, if God has you in a place, if God has called you to be here, then that's where you need to be. But in our day, what we're so love, so prone to do is to say, oh, look at that. That's where I want to go. I love the preaching there. Oh, but I really love the worship over here. Oh, that church, that church, a big church. No, wait, that church is a small church. Oh, I love the youth group over here. And well, the kids ministry over here. And man, they have a great prayer night and they have a great young adults night. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna pick and choose which one I wanna go to. 
And so I'm going to go to church over here on Sunday, and then I'm going to go to the prayer night over here on Sunday night. I'm going to go to this young adults ministry. We're going to take our kids to this youth group, and then we're just going to create our own. And Jesus says, don't do that. He says, that's not the way that it works. If you find a place where you belong, that's where you need to be. That you stay there as long as God has you there. You work hard, you pray hard, you see the mission complete, and when it's time for you to go, guess what? You are free to go. But you need to get committed, whether it's at Redemption Church or any other church. I I don't really care. As long as you're committed into a local church, join a serve team. Make it a priority for your life. Join a community group. Don't just go once a month. Go every single week and bring food. Be committed. Wherever you're at, that's where you need to be. You need to grow where you're planted. And people get up and people leave and people move so fast, they never learn how to live on mission. And this is not in my notes, but I said it to a young man the other day. Listen to me. There are some lessons you only learn from longevity. If you're always getting up and moving, guess what you're never going to do? You're never going to grow because you're not rooted. Jesus says, you need to be committed, grow where you're planted. And when it's time for you to leave, hey, you're free to leave because you've seen the mission completed. I am fully aware, as your pastor, listen to me. I know it's only week two. Some of you are brand new and I'm throwing it all out there, but listen to me. As your pastor, I am fully aware that in 10 years, half of you probably won't even be in this church. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I I really am. I know that some of you, you're going to be called into ministry and that you're going to become pastors and you're going to go out and plant your own churches. I'm fully aware that some of you, you're going to be missionaries. You're going to go overseas. I'm fully aware that some of you are going to have opportunities in the marketplace, in the business place. Some of you, God's going to move you to another church for another mission, for another season. Some of you are going to get offended at me and you're never going to come back and then you're going to go to another church and then that pastor's going to offend you and then the next pastor's going to offend you and the next pastor's going to offend you, and you're like, why can't I find a good place? Because you never learned how to grow where you're planted. I am fully aware in 10 years, most of you probably will not be in here, but that's okay with me. Here's the reason why. Because as long as you're here, my job is to love you. My job is to bless you. My job is to pray for you. My job as your pastor is to equip you to go and do the work of the ministry. I'm going to bless you, serve you, love you, and then when it comes time, I am going to send you out with a big applause. Because, because your season is over, and that's okay. He says, you can depart from there, but only when the mission is done. In the meantime, if you're here, this is where you belong. If you're here, we need you here, and I want to see you grow where you're planted. Number eight is this. Don't take it personally. He says, don't take it personally. Here's, here's what comes next. He says, so they went out, or if any place does not receive you and will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Okay, here's what Jesus says. Not everybody's going to like you. I know that's not what your mama said. Your mama said you were specially unique and a snowflake and everybody loves you, but mm, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says you need to know that not everybody is going to like you. Last week, Jesus was rejected. If they rejected Jesus, guess what they're going to do? Yeah, they're going to reject you too. You will be rejected, and here's what Jesus says. Don't take it personally. That people are like, I don't really want to hear that Jesus stuff. I'm not really into all that Jesus stuff. I don't really want to listen to what you have to say. Oh, you really mean to tell me that you believe in the Bible? Really? Wow. Isn't that an old book? Oh, you really mean to tell me that a virgin had a baby who was God? Woo-hoo, that's a little crazy. 
Oh, you believe that one day Jesus is going to come back, take everybody with them, and I'm going to have to stand before him and give an account for my life? Get out of here with that Jesus stuff. And what happens for us as Christians trying to live on mission, we begin to take it personally. We think, oh, I need to argue. I need to debate. I need to defend God. God does not need you to defend him. Right? He's God. He can do this. So you don't need to take it personally. Don't blow up. Don't get red in the face. And definitely don't blog about it. Don't take it personally. Jesus says, here's what you do. You pray for him. You bless him. Then you shake off the dust and you keep moving. Why? Because we are on a mission. We don't have time to get caught up in all of these silly, crazy Facebook arguments, getting in the comments. There is no time for that. We're on a mission. He says, dust off your feet. Just keep moving. So here's what it looks like. Oh, you want to you talk about Jesus? No? Okay. Hey, you want to talk about Jesus? No? Okay. Hey, can I pray for you? No? Okay. Hey, do you want to come to Bible study? No? Okay. Hey, do you want to come to church with me on Sunday? Yes. Wait, really? Cool. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm going to take you out for lunch afterwards. My treat. That's what Jesus says. He says, when you go, if they don't listen to you, hey, all you got to do, dust your feet off. And just keep moving forward. Why? Because we are on a mission. I think one of the reasons that we are so fearful to share our faith is because of this. We think they're accepting us and not accepting Jesus. What if they don't like me? So what? People don't like you. It's okay. What if they make fun of me? You're 30. Stop worrying about that. (laughs) What, what, What if they criticize me? Okay, you're still alive. Praise God. Kiss your wife. It's a good day. I don't don't know. Stop thinking they're accepting you. They're not accepting you. Stop thinking they're rejecting you. They're not rejecting you. You didn't die for their sins. You didn't atone for the sins of the world. You didn't resurrect from the grave. They're not accepting you. They're accepting Jesus. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Don't take it personally. Dust your feet off. Get up. Get going because we're on a mission. Number nine, here's what he tells us. He says that you need to do what you're told. Okay, some of you anarcho-punk kids, you're like, oh, I don't like authority. Don't tell me what to do. Jesus says, no, you need to do what you're told. Here's, here's how he says it. So they went out, there we go, and they proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil all those who were sick and healed them. Number nine, Jesus says, do what you're told. Jesus has already given you everything you need to be successful when it comes to living on mission and sharing your faith. He's already given you the authority. He's already called you. He's already commissioned you. He's already sent you. He's already left you with the promise. Jesus has already given you everything you need to be successful when it comes to your mission. The only thing that you need to do is you need to go out and you need to do what you are told. Just think about what he's says to the disciples. He says, you've been with me for two years. What are you waiting for? Get up. Go. Go do what you're told. I have already given you everything. You've seen me preach. It's your turn to go preach. You've seen me teach. It's your turn to go teach. You've seen me heal, cast out demons, perform miracles. Everything that I have, I'm giving to you. There is no excuse. What are you waiting for? Go and do what you're told. There's people out there. They're waiting for you. There's people out there wanting to experience life change through Jesus. There's people out there who are lost and are hurting, who are far from God. What are you waiting for? Get up and go do what you're told. And the disciples, what did they do? It says they went. 
They went. Now, do you think they were nervous? Oh, yeah. I bet they were nervous. Do you think that there was a little trepidation in them? Oh, absolutely. But here's what they didn't do. They didn't make excuses. They weren't like, oh, well, Jesus, you know what? I mean, um, we're disciples. We're not evangelists. No, no, no. We're disciples. God, we don't go, we don't go wide. We go deep. Jesus, do you have another parable I can read? Is there, is there like a systematic theology that you could give me? I mean, could you tell another parable so we could sit in the Bible study and we can talk about the parable but not actually be obedient? Can we do that? Jesus, Jesus can we, we like to go deep. Oh, no, 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 no. We're disciple people. Those people, those are evangelist people. We'll let them reach the lost. Oh, we want to touch heaven. That's what we want to do. Can I tell you that there is no difference between discipleship and evangelism? That if you're a disciple, guess what? You're an evangelist as well. And if you're an evangelist, guess what? You also make disciples. We live in a day to where there's a divorce between discipleship and evangelism. But that's not the way that Jesus sees it. You need both working together if we're going to continue to live on mission. Stop making theological excuses for your disobedience. And people are like, no, 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 no. I, I want to grow in my faith. I want to go deep. I, I want to I I learn big fancy college words so I can impress my friends. I want to I grow in my faith. I don't want to go and reach people. Hear me. The best way to grow in your faith is to share it. Because you're going to learn so many things about yourself. The best way to grow in your faith is to share it with other people because you're going to learn so much about the Lord. The best way for you to grow in your faith is to share it because you're going to discover things about yourself that you never even knew. God has already given you everything you need to be successful. The only thing you need to do is do what you're told. The next one we see is this. Don't be an editor. Instead, we need to be a messenger. So you're pumped. You're fired up. You're ready. You're excited. You're like, I'm going to go do it. So what do I go and say? Here's what he says. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should, what's the word? What's the word? What's the word? Repent. That's the message. How many of you, when you hear that word repent, you're like, eh. Repent? I'm supposed to tell people to repent? Can I just bake them muffins and watch The Bachelor? Can we just do that and call it fellowship? I mean, do I really have to tell people that they need to repent? Yes, because that is the message. The mission is people. The message is repentance. People need to turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. That's what it's all about. And some of you, you're like, oh, I can't, I don't like repentance. I don't like talking about repent, right? Because that just reminds me of a pot-bellied Pentecostal preacher wiping sweat from his face, just yelling at people, holding a sign, repent, 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 repent. Okay, here's what repentance actually means. It means to change. That for a person, our whole life is living towards sin, death, destruction, on a path towards hell. And when you see somebody and you invite them to repent, all you're offering for them is an opportunity to change. See, repentance is you're going in one way, you turn, and then you start going in another direction. That your face is towards sin, your back is towards Jesus. A simple repent is when you say, no, 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 I'm going to turn, and I'm going to walk with Jesus and turn my back on sin. When you invite somebody to repent, here's all you're doing. You're offering the opportunity for them to experience life change through Jesus. That they don't have to be who they were. They don't have to do the things that they did. They don't have to live the life that they lived because there's an opportunity for them to experience new life. But in order for us to do that, we have to preach the message of repentance. People don't like being told they're wrong. 
People don't like being told they're going to hell. People don't like being told that there's one God and there's one way and that they're living their life headed towards the path of the wrath of God. People don't like it. And so when we talk about repentance, they say, who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? Who are you? Why are you judging me? And then as Christians, we freeze. Uh, that's right. No, who are you? You're a messenger, not an editor. Right? People don't, need, people don't need us to water down the message. People don't need us to be more relevant so that way maybe they would think Jesus is cool. People don't need us to be able to pat them on the back on their way to hell. People don't need us to be editors. People need us to be messengers. We live in a day where holiness is called hatred and sin is celebrated. People need to know that Satan is real, demons are real, hell is hot and forever is a long time and you don't have to go there because God said his son Jesus so that we, you could experience new life. We need to stop worrying about trying to have 20 years of relationship to where maybe someday someone would be like, hey, what is it so unique about your life? Maybe you could tell me a little bit about it. No! People need to know up front that we're on a mission and we have a message and we're inviting them to experience life change through Jesus. Don't be an editor. God has called you to be a messenger. And then the next thing, the last thing we see, if we put all of this together, what happens? If we practice these 11 lessons for living on mission, what can we expect? What can we see? What does God say that's going to happen? If you've been called, if you've been sent, if you've been given authority, if you've been given a mission, if you've been given a message, what can we expect God to do? We can expect that God will move. And they cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick, and he healed them. It's amazing to see what happens when you believe in God, when you step out in faith, when you live on mission, you can see God move. Think about this. The disciples, they've been with Jesus for two years. They've seen Jesus do amazing things, but now it's happening through their hands. That for the disciples, they've seen Jesus preach, and now they're getting to preach the sermons. That they've seen Jesus teach, now they're getting to teach others. They've seen Jesus pray, now they're getting to pray for others. They've seen Jesus perform miracles, and now they're performing the miracles from their hands, laying hands on sick people, and they're being healed from their own life. They're seeing God move in amazing ways. And I believe this is what God wants to do in your life. If you would just listen, if you would just learn, if you would live on mission, step out in faith, you can see God move in amazing ways. People were healed. People were saved. People were giving their lives to the Lord. It's amazing. It's incredible. What happens when you step out in faith, you live on mission, and you watch God move? It's the same thing that happened in the disciples' life. It's the same thing that happened in my life. And my hope, my goal, my prayer is that today is the day that this begins to happen in your life as well. We exist to see a gospel-centered move in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life life changed through Jesus. How many of you have friends that you're praying for? You want to see them to come know the Lord. Jesus is sending you. How many of you have family members that you've been praying for? You want them to come to church. Jesus is sending you. How many of you have college classmates, co-workers at work, the barista at the coffee shop, the guy at the bar, the lady at the gym? You're praying for them. You're believing for them. You're reaching for them. And you want to know, how can I do what God has called me to do? You live on mission and you watch God move. It's amazing to see what happens. This is the day everything changed for the disciples. 
And my prayer is that this is the day that everything begins to change for us. Because God expects nothing less out of us today than he expected out of the 12, 2,000 years ago. You have everything you need. He's given you authority. He's given you a calling. He is sending you. He's given you a message. He's giving you a mission. Last week was the grand opening. It was amazing and it was fun. But now we're in a new season. And now it's time for us to stop playing and pretending, making excuses, and now is the time for us as a church to begin making a difference. Now we need to see ourselves as missionary being sent by God. And some of you, this is all new to you, right? You're a brand new Christian. You're like, I showed up for the grand opening. I didn't, came back the next week and this is, this is it. I want you to understand this. This is normal Christianity. I don't want you to go two years without making a difference. I don't want you to miss out on two years of following Jesus. I want you, if you're a brand new Christian, I want you to know this is normal Christianity. But you, for those of you, you've been like the disciples following Jesus for a while, but you still haven't done anything. This is the day that that changes. This is the day that you get up, you get serving, you get in a group, you start moving forward. This is the day that you start giving. This is the day that you can look back to when you're talking to your grandkids and you can say, this is the day that my life changed because I got on mission. And then others of you, you know this all too well because you see it in your own life. You can attest for it because you've seen God move in your life. You've seen people get saved. You've seen your friends be baptized. You've seen them go through the waters. You've seen them be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've seen a city be renewed and transformed and changed. You've seen a gospel-centered movement not only in your heart but also in the lives of others and you're praying and you're believing that you're gonna see God move in incredible ways. Why? Because you know that a life lived on mission is a life that's truly lived for Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. As we close, here's, here's my challenge for you. Okay, just so you know, if you're new to redemption, um, we don't do altar calls, so we don't bow your head, close your eyes, repeat a prayer, pray after me. That's just not the way that we do anything. Not the way that it's wrong. It's just not the way that we do things. Okay, here's how we measure our effectiveness. We measure our effectiveness by your willingness to show up next week. That's how we know. Okay, if you're picking up what we're putting down, then you're going to be responding to the scriptures. That's, that's all we do. Okay, so here's one of my challenges for you. Okay, a lot of you, you're new. A lot of you, you're excited. A lot of you, you're ready to take your next steps. Here's my challenge for you. I'm setting this before you to pray that by the end of this year, every single person in this room will have the privilege to lead one person to Jesus. Just one person. One person's story. One person's opportunity. One per person who experiences life change through Jesus. That's my goal for you. That's my prayer for you. That's my hope. In order for you to do that, it's going to take all of us living a life on mission for Jesus. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.